Welcome to Money Conversations with KJ. KJ is a lifelong entrepreneur who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and found his way back again. If you're looking for a sterile how-to, you're in the wrong place. KJ and his guests will walk you through real-life situations told by the people who live them, and they are as messy as they are inspiring. Each episode will offer lessons learned, advice on how to replicate successes and avoid pitfalls, and a new perspective to power your financial literacy. Far from a one-size-fits-all, this podcast can help you build a roadmap to your personal promised land. Milk and honey for some, whiskey and steak for others, and remind you that you're not alone on this journey well hello everybody welcome back i'm kj the host here i'm real excited about today's guest here um you know as i as i go through my journey in this space of money we get to come across a lot of folks that are in the same space and can give a lot of value out there and today's guest is sorry ibrahim okay so a little bit about sorry sorry's a uh, business is to help high net worth individuals real estate investors business owners, and retirees grow and protect their wealth predictably and safely. As a financial consultant, health and life agent, Sari has cultivated a reputation for putting his clients first, no matter what. He prides himself on attending all client meetings without expectations or preconceived ideas to ensure that he is solving his clients' problems. That's the value Sari offers. So Sari, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Cool. Today, I want to talk today a little bit uh, twofold today um, so the audience can understand, one, where you came from and, you know, why you're in the space and your passion for what you do. And then obviously what you can do for them and guide them um, in in their journeys, um, depending where they're at in their journeys. And, And for guys, I know you've listened to a lot of my podcasts. Sorry's going to talk to you if you're at the level that you actually have accumulated some sort of. Um, financial, you know, uh, wealth of some sorts that uh, we've all got to put our money to work. We've got to put it to work safely. Nobody, it takes time and energy to earn, make and grow money and you want to be safely. So he's a lot about asset protection, which I'm huge on that chapter. It's one of the chapters in the trainings that I've uh, done in my, in my, uh, in my workshops that I do. So we'll definitely get into that, but sorry, let's talk about first. I want to, I want to take everybody on your journey. Um, if you can think back, I don't know, as far as you can go, and and when you remember that money was something that we used to trade, right? Because that's how money is, is we trade things for it. How old were you when you figured that out? That's a good question. Um, so I think it was, it was a really young age, maybe the age of like 10 or 11 years old. I started to realize the importance of money and how it's a tool that's used in in every everywhere in the world it has importance um and it's it's important to to grow that money over time and to have a secure source of of new money coming in not just the wealth that you have but also income coming in on top of it either passively or actively so i kind of understood the basics of money maybe age 10 11 years old and of course i wanted to have always I've always wanted to be some sort of consultant, just help people get things done. And it was kind of general, just like a general problem solver. And then got, went to school, got my MBA. And then I was like, you know, I wanted to get my MBA because I wanted to learn as much as possible about money. And that was just the first step, of course. The, your MBA doesn't teach you everything about money. It just gives you a basic idea of money. I got more of my money skills after working in the insurance and financial services world. 
insurance on the risk mitigation side and protecting what matters most to people. And then on the uh, financial planning side, it's that we have this money now. How do we grow it? How do we protect it? What do we do with it? That's what really interested me. And that's why why I do um, the work that I do right now. Awesome. So let's talk. I mean, that's a pretty young age to understand that full scope of money, right? And so as I've talked to a lot of my other um, people that have been on the podcast are like, well, who taught you this? So, so share with us who taught you or how did you come about at the age of 10 of realizing, okay, this is what money's for. This is what I want to do in the path that you went. How did you get there? I mean, who was teaching you? Yeah, parents had a huge impact on on the value of money, of course. Um, it's something that a lot of parents, you know, teach their kids, you know, the value of money and how it's important. But at the same time, there's still a lot of like um, gaps in what people know about money, right? And I didn't know everything, of course, at the age of 10 about money. I only knew just it's, it's important. That's the only thing I knew about it. Right. Um, but I just had this always this curiosity about where does money come from? How do you make more of it? How come some people have a lot more money than other people? Like what's, what, what causes that discrepancy or that de- delta between people who have a lot of money and people who don't? And then, of course, that you know, um, going to college, growing up, going to grad school, working in the industry, you learn a lot about this. And it has a lot to do with financial literacy, which is a lot of what you talk about. There's knowledge that has to go behind money. It's not just having the money. That doesn't help, really. Right. You see a lot of, um, a lot of for example, you hear stories about like um, kids who inherit a lot of money at like the age of 18 and it ruins their life because they didn't know what to do with that money. So it's not the financial matter. It's the literacy behind it, the knowledge and what to do with it and how to grow that money behind it. That matters more than the actual sum of money. So it's it's not the money that you have. It's, it's how you get it and what you do with it after you get it, the knowledge, the experience behind it. And I think that's what you know, I wanted to center the business around a lot around teaching people how to apply these skills. And, and I actually just found, I, I just made a podcast called thinking like a bank and the podcast, the intent of it is to show people what banks think and how they think so that way anybody can mimic these thoughts. And it's not all, it's not exclusive for bankers or financial reps, but anybody who makes money and has money to think more like a bank and, and copy what the most lucrative industry in the world has been doing for thousands of years in the way they handle money. I think that's awesome because, you know, the, in, in, in my course that I teach, the, the first one out out of the gate is mindset. And you just described, you know, your podcast is 100 percent about mindset. If we really don't learn how to think and act different with our time and money, you'll end up like the masses. And we know that 95 percent of the, this population and probably the planet, you know, don't accumulate any kind of wealth because they don't know how they were never taught. And so going back at 10, you were mentioning how your parents taught you, which you know, very fortunate that your parents taught you because I've spoken with thousands of people and whether you realize it or not, unfortunately, parents aren't teaching their kids about money. Mm-hmm. And we find that there's two reasons. Money can be a difficult conversation to talk about, right? For a parent, sometimes you it's on the same planes as sex, right? Your kid gets that 13, 15 year old age. You're like, man, I got to have this sex talk. Man, that's that's an uncomfortable talk. And a lot of parents don't have that talk. And same goes with money, right? Um, if your parents struggled with money, then they can't teach you about money because they struggled. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I have a little saying that I say, listen, parents can't teach what parents don't know. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, it sounds like for you, your parents taught you. So were your parents good with money? Yes and no. 
So, uh, okay. So uh, they they so there was kind of like an up and down part growing up where like my parents had money and then they didn't have money then they had money so I saw like both sides of the world where you you don't have money and you do and that kind of changed a lot of the way I know so um, they always influenced me to save always influenced to um, don't ever assume that tomorrow is the same as today as far as financial economic means it's not it could change at any time. You know, it, and I and I think that's one of the main reasons why they influenced me to save is you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're always, and then they would say when you grow up and you get a, you know, you become an adult and you have a job, even then you need to save because you don't know what's going to happen in your career. You don't know what's going to happen with your health. You can get sick. You can get hurt. You could, anything, your job could be changed. You don't know what's going to happen. So having that financial background or having something in the background that's working for you and a way to access money if something were to happen to you. Um, is important and we see this a lot with you know what happened in in 2008 and and what happened um right before covid hit a lot of people didn't have those planned out and these were just cycles and like throughout history is that a lot of people don't have they don't plan on the next economic downturn or the next huge problem in the economy um, but having that you, you need you need savings you need a way to grow that money over time so to outpace inflation to outpace other risks you need some sort of vehicle that can keep driving and going through the downtrends and the downsides i agree i agree and so it sounds like you know at 10 when that really piqued your interest because it's funny that's a really you know i've got four grown kids and 10 year between 10 and 12 is when kids are figuring out what they really you know their minds what they're doing and some kids will go down like sports right i'm gonna go become a baseball player or football or whatever um you could get into music and when you get into some of these other passions that we all will you know have in our lives then we forget about the money, right? And you think like if you want to strive to be a professional mm-hmm. baseball player, um, one of the reasons is the excitement of, and the love of the game. But obviously, we all know that major league players make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But that being said, we also know that a lot of these kids who will be groomed from the age 10, go all the way through, become their professional sport, whatever it is, make millions of dollars, mm-hmm. finish their careers. And then what happens? They end up being broke, most, time, yeah, most of the time, money. not yeah. all the time, but most of the time. And that's because no one ever taught them about money. So they followed yeah. their passion. They got awesome at it, went and did it, and they weren't listening to the right people. And unfortunately, those type of people end up listening to the wrong people, people who want to basically take advantage, right, mm-hmm. and take their money from them. So that's interesting that at 10, you money was your thing. You were just so interested. It just intrigued you at that age. Like, man, what is this? I got to know more about this money. I want money. You know what I mean? And you look a fairly young guy. How old are you? I'm 31. 31. See, so you're a young guy. I got kids older and younger than you. But um, the journey with money at 31 and everything you've learned, I mean, you're so far ahead of the curve than the average 50-year-old. I could tell you that right now. For sure, 100 percent. Right. And this is why for me, um, Money Conversations, which is fueled by Fintel, is I teach I teach financial literacy, what I like to call it the fifth grade level, the fundamentals, the things that we basically should know that you learn probably between the ages of 10 and 15. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're able to teach what you teach today in today's world. That's super fascinating. Talk to me in the audience about as you were learning this. Right. Were there other passions that you were following in life or you 100 percent? Man, I just love this whole money thing. 
Yeah, I always liked the money and I liked to, and I always felt like even at a young age, even before I knew much, I always felt like I had the solution already in mind. Like I already knew that like people have financial problems, but I had the solutions already. I just didn't know much. I only think, the only thing I knew was save your money, that's it. And it's that's a vague thing, right? It doesn't work for everybody and it depends. But I always knew that I had some sort of ideas to help mitigate problems or eliminate some problems, which is what influenced me to get into the industry and, and doing what I'm doing right now. And to kind of give a little bit more uh, of a continued story, I started to work in, after, after I graduated my MBA, I started to work in insurance and I was working primarily in the Medicare field. And that was really cool because I got to work with a lot of retirees, people who were like 65 and older. And I was helping them transition from their Medicare plans to their own individually owned plans, from their employer plans onto their own plans. So they were leaving work at their unions, whatever the case was. And I was helping them make that transition. And it was cool because I saw, I would see like the end result of, of saving up in the future, having a pension and all that. And that guy kind of gave me a perspective on what to expect in the future. And, and even some things on how to improve, you know, from, from the conventional or traditional ways of saving for retirement. And as I was making these changes, you know, one of my clients, you know, it's all about the curiosity. One of my clients asked me, Hey, you know, I, I heard there's life insurance that has cash value that builds up over time. And then eventually the policy will pay for itself. That was all I heard. And I didn't know much of what he was talking about, but I was like, Hey, you know what? That's a good idea. Because you could build up cash somewhere. And if something happens to you, you have life insurance. And then eventually you can get the cost back that you paid into it. So it kind of just triggered a whole bunch of light bulbs. And I wasn't really sure what he was referring to. So I decided to do more research. And I went to Amazon and I searched for books on life insurance. And I came across this book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. Mm-hmm. And Pamela Yellen invented the bank on yourself concept and, and the utilization of this, this strategy called the bank on yourself strategy. So I, as I was reading this book, I was like, this is very relevant, not just to my client who was thinking about cash and value life insurance, but also to anybody who wants to eliminate financial problems in the future. Uh, it gives you the ability to save money. Uh, it gives you the ability to grow your money regardless of market conditions, the tax benefits behind it, the ability to borrow against it and use for other investments like real estate and your business. So there's like a lot of things were going on. And I was like, you know, I want to do this. I want to implement this for all my clients and all my friends and my family. I want everybody to know about the strategy because how powerful it is. So I became a bank on yourself professional. And then I started doing guest podcasts, things like this, and just explaining this concept and how the, the power of it behind it because of all of the financial problems out there and the lack of literacy behind the, the lack of understanding or financial literacy behind this. So this is why I think this concept is really important. And I recommend two books to get a better idea. Of this. You know, the first one is The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen, the book already mentioned. And the second one is Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. These two books give a, give a really good idea of what this concept is and how it could eliminate a lot of problems, a lot of future financial problems for people. So that's great because obviously that's tailoring towards people that are, I'd like to call in the fourth quarter of life, right? 60 plus years yeah. old, right? Um, so we've yeah. got to talk to the people that aren't there yet, right? That it's great if you can finish the fourth quarter of life that you've done some things correctly and set up some of these types of policies and whether it's that or you've just opened a self-directed you know, retirement account, there's a lot of different vehicles to use. And then actually it sounds like, you know, your expert expertise is saying, okay, now you're here, which means you're not, you're going to stop trading time for money. You're not going to have a job. So you need to make your money, make money. Right. And and just FYI out there, guys, you don't need to be 60 or whatever years old or older to be able to do that. Really the goal of the game is to, to get there as early as possible. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you can get there in your twenties and there are people that do that, you want that. You want your money making more money than whatever you're going to do to trade time for it. Um, 
that that's huge number one. But you're helping people because, you know, they've worked hard their whole lives doing whatever they did. And they're thinking oh, they don't know what to do with this chunk, whether that chunk is 50, 100, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever the number is, they're unsure. And so they need an expert like yourself to come out and um, help them out. And like we said, do it safely, predictably. Nothing more important than asset protection, guys. When you're out there, whether you're 30 years old and you're like, man, I got 100 grand. I saved 100 grand. I've invested. I have 100 grand. How do I how do I protect this? That some. Yeah, I say yahoos come along, sue you and take it. Right. And, and, and it's so important, vitally important to do that because we all work really hard either for the money or investing it as wisely as we can to um, accumulate it. So as as we talk, so you decided to go down that path in your career. Listen, I'm going to go solve problems with money. That's what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're 31 years old and you've helped a lot of people. What have you done for people? Have you or have you come across as you you know, were in that arena? Somebody, let's say, that was late 50s, early 60s that only accumulated 10,000 mm-hmm. or less. What, what do you do for those guys? Yeah. So at that point, exactly. It's a good question. And at that point, it's kind of, there's not much we could really do as far as a financial strategy. If they're 65 years old and they have 10,000 saved up. Um, but at the same time, because of you know what, especially if they're, if they're no longer working now, they might just have like a pension and social security, depending on what the analysis is or what the situation is. But one thing that we could do is start planning for the next generation though. And in some situations, it's, it's kind of hard to get approved for life insurance at the age of 65. It's possible, but it's a little bit harder to do just because of the risk at, for, the, for the insurance company at that point. But it's possible. And I've actually helped people over the age of 65 with limited resources um, to, to go to the next step of having life insurance and even um, being able to take control of their money that they're making. So it's also too about the income, not just about the, how much cash they have. So they might have $10,000 saved up, but they might have, you know, $3,000 a month in passive income from social security and pension and other areas. That was what, that was what we could really make that work as far as funding the next generation and, and, and funding life insurance. And again, just to be clear, Kevin, it's, you know, all, all the strategies here, we talk about that bank on yourself strategy. It's like you said, it's applicable for everyone, people from the age of 18 to age, you know, 90, um, and I, and I really wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into this concept, the bank on yourself concept. It helps people take back control of their financial life. It helps them kind of, so for example, when you buy something, let's say you want to buy a car, there's typically only three ways to do so. You can buy cash in the car, you can finance it from, uh, you can finance it from the lender or you can lease it. And each one has its pros and cons. But what if there's a fourth way? What if there's a way that you could buy the car with money from where you borrow from yourself, pay it back on your own terms. This way you pay off the car and you can get all back the interest that you would otherwise pay to other people. Because when you pay cash for something, you lose the opportunity cost you could have earned. So if I take, for example, $20,000 from a savings account, and then I move that over to a car and I buy a car with that, I can no longer earn interest on that car anymore. Let's say now I, I finance it. If I finance it, then I pay the interest to the lender. If I lease it, I'm just renting the car for three years or four years. And then if the fourth option where the bank on yourself concept comes in, I could have my $20,000, borrow against that, finance the car, pay back on my own terms. Five years later, I have a policy now with probably twice the amount of cash value in it. 
Plus I have the car already paid off. So now I did two things with my money. I was able to grow money and use it at the same time. And this is what I want a lot of people to understand is that you could do both. You can grow your money and become your own source of financing. Again, we finance everything we own, everything we touch, we finance either through cash or through the actual lenders or credit cards or different ways. For the average American, one third of every dollar earned goes to service debt. So if you make $100,000 a year, $33,000 goes to service debt. Student loans, auto loans, mortgages, credit card debt, personal loans, loans on your furniture, loans on everything else. So one third goes to service debt. What if we could be on the other side of it, where we're sitting on the other side, earning that interest back in our pocket? This is what the concept talks about. And this is what we help people do. We help them take back control of the interest they would otherwise pay to other people to redirect that back into their pockets. Right. And and I love your example. It's an automobile, but guys, you can do this. And I know lots of people and I've done it. We can do this with real estate. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest one because, you know, we're talking ticket items here, right? Car. And I mean, a, a decent car, new car today is darn near 50 grand, right? It, mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yep. Um, and you can go out there if you're, you know, one that's whatever, 40, 50, whatever, and you've done the right things and built up um, your retirement accounts. Yes. Become your own bank. And the greatest thing about that is the IRS does not tell you what interest you can charge yourself. So when we're paying somebody else interest, obviously we want to pay the lowest interest possible, right? When we're paying it out. But when you're paying yourself and you get, and this is great for your taxes and you're like, yeah, I'm going to charge myself 10% interest. And it sounds counterintuitive because we're always thinking I need to get the lowest interest rate possible. Right. But when you're paying yourself, no, because that 10% that you're charging yourself is tax deductible. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Yeah, so guys, yeah. when you're out there again, whether you're doing your car, you want to do real estate, you want to loan money to people. I mean, go ahead, loan money people. You're like, I loan money. It's 10, 12, 50. You charge whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I know people that charge 20% hard money, right? Hard money mm-hmm. is, is anywhere from 15 to 25%. So, mm-hmm. um, become a hard money lender, become like you're, you know, sorry, saying become the bank. How do you mm-hmm. think these banks become so wealthy? They make so, they make so much money on our money. Well, yeah, become the bank. It's a it, it's just one of the concepts that people don't even think about, don't know. So I think it's awesome that you share that out there. Um, you know, you're doing it with a little more of the early retirees. But I mean, whoever's listening to you at whatever age, understand yeah. that concept. That's really cool. Um, so on some other levels that you teach besides that, which is, you know, when you're consulting with them with their health and their life, so you've learned about yeah. life insurance and the different types of policies, what kind of recommendations? Because, you know, there's there's a lot of arguments on, on life insurance. If you listen to somebody like a Dave Ramsey or a Susie mm-hmm. Orman, they're going to 100 percent tell you do not do any whole life. They're, mm-hmm. they're such advocates of not doing it right They're mm-hmm. They're talking about term life insurance, which is a whole different animal. And it just, it depends where you are in life, which one that you really want. I think whole life is designed for people with money so you can leverage that money. Um, it's very expensive. It can be expensive for a lot of folks. Um, what, what do you, what is your, um, advice on going down that road? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. So a lot of people do listen to like Dave Ramsey or Susie Arman when it comes to whole life insurance. And 
Um, there's whole life insurance is never just a one size fits all. It's never just a one type of solution. It, it has a lot of different variances. It's different um, in different companies. There's different ways to fund it, different ways to structure it, different ages. There's, there's, there's a lot of differences. Um, and one of those things, for example, we work with about, there's about 1200 insurance companies in the US that sell whole life insurance, but we only work with three out of 1200 insurance companies. Why? Because we want to make sure that they could address all of the functions we want them to. So it's not necessarily about the title of it. It's called whole life insurance, but it's about the function. What could it do? If we want to take back control of our financial life, we want to have liquidity. We want to be able to grow money over time, regardless of market conditions. There's a certain checklist we must follow in order to do so. Number one, it must be in order to do so. It must be a whole life insurance policy with cash value. It doesn't work with term insurance or universal. It must be whole life insurance and it must have cash value in it. Number two, it must be from a mutually owned insurance company. There are two types of insurance companies. One mutually owned and the second is stock owned. Mutually owned is where the customers own the own, the, own, own a part of the company and they get back dividends from the company. Whereas stock owned companies, the dividends go back to the shareholders. So we need to make sure it's a mutually owned insurance company. And then number three, there's something called the paid up additions rider. The paid up additions rider is a part or a piece you add to the policy to help turbocharge the cash value of the policy. It also helps with flexibility, meaning that one year I could add in $5,000 a year and the next year I could add in a thousand and then the third year I could add in $20,000. You could do this through the paid up additions rider. The rider helps and then as the rider is added, it, it inflates or increases the cash value in the, in the policy over time quickly than without the, the paid up additions rider. And the fourth is you need to make sure it's a non-direct recognition company. What this means is, let's say we have $100,000 in cash value in the policy. Now, let's say we're also real estate investors and we want to buy a property that costs you know, $90,000. We can go to the policy, borrow against that, take out $90,000 from the policy, borrow against it, and then use that to become our own mortgage, essentially, buy the property with that. And then we have a loan now with the insurance company. But non-direct recognition means that when we took out that outstanding loan, we're not subtracting from the, from the value. We're borrowing against it from a different source. And when we do that, our $100,000 cash value, the original cash value, keeps earning interest and dividends on that money over time, even when we're using it. So let's say five years goes by, we sell the house for $150,000. We made a $50,000 profit off that, uh, considering other costs too. And then we also made money in the policy at the same time because we kept earning interest and dividends over time without interrupting the growth of that. So our money did two things for us. It grew in the policy and it grew outside the policy. And it gave us that, the freedom and the liquidity to do both. So just these four qualities for whole life insurance, mutually owned, paid up additions, rider, and non-direct recognition. These are things that Dave Rams and Susie Orman have never talked about, these four qualities. Um, and they're not obviously whole life insurance agents. They're not financial planners or financial advisors. So they don't know how these things work. Um, so when it comes to utilizing the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept, I would not listen to Dave Rams or Susie Orman. They say some good things, right? About like um, having a healthy financial life, but Again, we're not talking about all whole life insurance com- all whole life insurance products from all companies. They're, they have to be structured the right way. If they're not structured the right way, they could lead to the things that Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman talk about, such as it's a terrible investment. It has very tiny cash value. You could borrow your money and end up paying all the interest back to the insurance company. All those situations, all those negative situations could be true. It's not, again, it's not, it's not relevant to every single insurance product out there, every single whole life insurance product out there. It could be though, if it's not structured the right way, which is why you need to make sure you're dealing with a bank on yourself professional or an infinite banking concept professional, somebody who does this full time, who does it for not only has a whole life insurance license or a license to sell whole life insurance, but also somebody who's competent and familiar with the utilization of dividend paying whole life insurance for self banking purposes. Excellent, excellent explanation because it, it all comes down to one thing, guys education. You got to educate yourself. And 
educating yourself for your needs. You know, finances are not a one size fit all. We are all different. We all have different aspirations of, you know, what our end goal line is and how we're going to get there. And there are a lot of different lanes to get to the end goal. So sorry, just explained to you the value of education and understanding, right, that Mm -hmm. there are literally just a small handful of companies that are going to be able to do it correctly and save you. Don't mm-hmm. kid yourself when there's a lot of insurance companies out there. Listen, they just want your money. They want to make money. Mm-hmm. In any given city, USA, the tallest buildings in any city downtown are insurance buildings. Okay. There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. So they do make a lot of money. So doing your education, I think you just did an awesome explanation and laying that out. So if there's people out there, they're on the fence. I'm not sure. What does it mean? There's multiple different kinds of whole life. And if you got an insurance agent just says, hey, I want to sell you some whole life. You got to say, what kind? Yeah. What kind? What are we talking about here? Right. Um, Awesome. Great explanation. Big, big value out there for that. Big value. So many good things. And again, you know, when you're 25, 35, 45 years old and you're thinking, I need to accumulate cash. And, you know, I I teach one of the things you're either going to be an active investor or a passive investor. Right. You either, you know, Mm -hmm. sorry here, took this on early in life where he just, you know, the the curiosity bug bit him early and he just dove deep into it. Um, And most people don't. Most people like, ah, it's it's a whole other language. I don't know it. It's hard to understand. Um, So go invest passively. And there's plenty of places it passively where like, you know, you've got to put your money in places and let the pros do what they do. And you're the benefit of doing that. Um, exactly. I think, and, and you know, when we're talking about asset protection, right? Meaning we want to protect that wealth. How do you protect the wealth of people when they have those kind of dollars? What are you, what are you suggesting? So, yeah. So this is something you definitely want to talk to an attorney about. Um, I'm not an attorney, so definitely consult with one before you do this. But there's some general ideas that you can think of. Um, and here's one kind of, I guess, thing that a lot of people don't know. Sorry. There's one thing that a lot of people don't know. And that is um, that whole life insurance in a lot of states, the cash value of it has a lot of asset protection behind it. So, for example, let's say that you're in the state of Illinois and you have $100,000 in cash value that is protected from creditors and outside risks. And the same is true is true in Florida. If you have cash value life insurance or annuities, that cash value in there is protected. And, and and one strategy behind asset protection is a you could allocate, you could intentionally take out whole life insurance and have your money sit there and it's still accessible regardless of you know the, the outside risk. So it's a safe place to, it's like a bank account that you can have cash value in it and then it's accessible to you but other people can't touch it. They can't even know about it either. It's not public information or public records. And even if did somebody, even if somebody did find out about the cash value in it, they wouldn't be able to hold and in a lot of states too. They wouldn't be able to leverage that in a lawsuit or uh, have a judgment against that because of the way the law treats life insurance. So the, in, in most states, the government looks at life insurance as a good thing. They want you to protect that. They want you to have it for your family. And they don't want outside risks to affect that, to affect your life insurance um, insurability. Because if so, if you have, for example, $100,000 in life insurance, and, and depending on the state you're in, and then somebody sues you and tries taking that $100,000 out, then you just surrender the policy. And now you and your family are out of life insurance. So the government wants to 
deter from that by protecting the life insurance, the cash value, and then you could utilize it for whatever purpose you want. You could always borrow against it. There's never any credit check behind it or collateral needed to borrow against the policy. The policy itself is self-collateralized. So if you have $100,000 in the policy, you borrow $90,000, the insurance company is giving you $90,000 loan leveraging the death benefit and the cash value you have. You don't have to put up personal credit. You don't have to show proof of income, co-signers, any of that. You have guaranteed liquidity, guaranteed loan provisions in the policy that give you the right to the loan at any time up to 90% of the cash value for any purposes. So imagine you have this, you're, you're going to business essentially with this insurance company that's been around for over 160 years. They've been paying dividends and interest and you are, are, are going to be a policy owner slash, slash mutual owner of this insurance company. And they'll always guarantee you no matter what your cash value is, they'll loan you out 90% of it, or you can surrender uh, the, surrender the policy if you wanted to. But the, it, the, the guarantees are always there and the liquidity is always there behind it. So there are other solutions out there for asset protection, but a lot of them entail kind of parking your money somewhere, not being able to access it for a certain amount of time, charging high fees for doing so. There's a lot of different ways. In my opinion, I think the best form of asset protection is having dividend paying whole life insurance in your um, in your portfolio. I've talked to asset, asset protection attorneys before and they say like, yeah, the typical asset protection plan costs about $30,000 to set up and then like two or $3,000 every year after that. And maintenance to, to just to, this is aside from the money they're investing or putting into it, a trust or whatever offshore account. I don't really understand how those things work. I just know that whole life insurance could be a beautiful part of your portfolio, especially when it comes to asset protection. And of course you wanna do this with the guidance of an estate planning attorney, an asset protection attorney, attorneys that understand um, various laws in different states and how whole life insurance is structured. And of course the tax parts too with your account and also being in your team. Yes, um, 100%. You know, I just want people to understand asset protection and what it really means. So for everybody you're out there, you're accumulating money. You know, unfortunately we live in a very litigious society. People will sue you for darn near anything. I mean, anything. And the thing is, once, you know, Joe Smith or whoever goes and wants to sue somebody and he's going to go talk to Mr. Lawyer and Mr. Attorney is going to do a little bit of homework. And that homework Mm -hmm. he's going to do is research what kind of assets is, you know, Mr. Sewer guy trying to get. Mm -hmm. And if that attorney cannot access assets, he's not going to sue because attorneys do not work for free. Mm -hmm. None of them. I've never met one yet. Matter of fact, they're opposite than work for free. They charge a lot of money, right? Um, So asset protection is about protecting your assets. And there's lots of different vehicles. You just explained one of them. Um, Every state is a little bit is different. Um, When you start accumulating real estate, you start accumulating cash wealth, parking it wherever you want to park it. It's all about visibility. Now, Mm -hmm. I had a uh, asset protection specialist on the show here a couple, three months ago, whatever it was. And the best way to be able to, from the average person, the average mm-hmm. person, unless you really start accumulating a lot of wealth, it can definitely get a lot more complicated, but to keep it simple for you guys that are out there that are working hard and you're starting, I got 30,000, I got 40,000, I got 90, I got a hundred, I got 200, which is a lot of money. Don't kid yourselves, but there's people out there with millions and tens of millions of dollars and they want to protect that stuff is, mm-hmm. you know, you need to incorporate yourself. You need to hide your money inside of corporations. Mm-hmm. You do not want to be exposed where your money is in your name. There's mm-hmm. a saying out there that all the wealthy know own nothing, control everything. Mm-hmm. You heard that phrase? 
Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah, own nothing control. That just means you control it, but when some attorney wants to come after you and they're suing your personal name, well, guess what? There is nothing in your personal name. When you protect it correctly, put it inside corporations. This is what all the wealthy do. They put it all in multiple corporations. I have yeah, five yeah. corporations I level out in, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to sue me, I say, well, you can have my shoes because that's about the only thing that's not in my corporation, right? <laughs> so go ahead, roll the dice, spend your money on your attorney, and they're going to mm-hmm. tell you, I can't get nothing. So mm-hmm. um, I love that subject. I loved it tremendously. I think it's... Um, and invaluable. And, and do you find yourself, sorry, when you're out there and you start talking about asset to protection to people, do you find that they're like, this is a foreign language? You're like, hey, no one ever told me about this. I never heard about this. Do you find that to be normal? I, I find it to be normal that people don't even think that's like, that's something to consider. Like meaning like, oh, I'm not going to get sued. I don't do anything wrong. Right. And the, the reality, like you said, we live in a society that's super like ready to push that lawsuit button. And a lot of times, a lot of rich people, they just come across problems where like they get sued because they have a lot of money and yeah. it was just an opportunity for somebody else. And they'll say like, yeah, you know, I sold this product or I did this service for somebody. It was, you know, I documented everything. They sued me for, you know, whatever. I just get, wrote them a check for $10,000 because it was cheaper to do that. Right. And to hire them, to hire my lawyer and then to pay my lawyer, you know, $500 an hour and defend me for the next few years. It was just easier. And then that's the society we live in now, which is easier for rich people to just write off, you know, write it off, exactly, write it off in that sense. But yeah, and and again, it's not about your ethics and your morals and getting sued. It's just about the ability that you had a lot of money and somebody had a, a perfect opportunity for that. Um, to, take, to take some of your money. Yeah. It's just it, an opportunity thing. And it's happening just more and more every year. Yeah. It's it's just really getting, you, you've got to get really tight on this stuff, guys. You really, really do. Um, because again, when you work as hard as you do and you're trying to do all the right things, setting up all your right accounts, thinking that the finish line is close here, I'm going to have dollar X and, and live the lifestyle that I want to. And then in one fell swoop, something silly could happen. And you're like, Holy crap. Mm-hmm. I'm 70 years old. I got to go back to work. They took all my money. Mm-hmm. Right. And nobody wants me to be in that position. Um, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good stuff. What, what do you think has been the biggest challenge as you're out there talking to these people? What, what What's kind of a good common challenge that people are having when you sit down and talk with them? Uh, a lot of challenge that people have is they don't see things. Uh, a lot of people are based off of what they know on a conventional basis, meaning that what everybody else does and what everybody else has been doing. Like for example, somebody who has their job and then they have a 401k and they might have like a brokerage account and then like term life insurance. And they might think they're set in every way. They got their passive income. They have their active income. They have life insurance if something happens to them. And then it's like, when we go through that analysis, we're like, we're identifying certain risk points, such as with the 401k, a lot of it is going to be in the stock market. And the stock market, of course, of course, is always subject to volatility. That anything could happen that could affect the value of the 401k. So a lot of people don't see that coming. The term life insurance policy has a set end date. So if you're 30 years old, you do a 20-year term policy, it's going to end at the age of 50. Well, what if at the end of age of 50, you get diagnosed with a, a condition? Now you can't reapply for that term policy. And if you could, and you do get approved, it's going to be about 10 times more than the cost. So they don't see that life insurance aspect of it. They just see the term only in that set period of time. And then of course, with their job, like if something happens to their job with their active income, how do you replace your, your current income? What if something happens to your industry that you're in or some other something some other part happens in the market where it's going to hinder your income? So once we start identifying all these things, 
people just start like rubbing their 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 eyes and you know their heads are like oh my god this is too much to take in and then we even talk about there's even more like taxes you know right now the highest tax rate fed on the federal income tax rate is 37 percent well what's going to happen when that goes up and, and i think it will go up in the future what if it goes up to you know 50 percent? and you now you're making you know three hundred thousand dollars a year 50 percent of that is going right to the government on a federal level excluding the state taxes that you have to pay so people see all these things and they're like oh my god i thought like everything was going fine i didn't see any of these things so people are looking today they're looking at their checking accounts today and their savings accounts today and they're basing it off of how they feel in that moment all right today's good I have enough money. I can pay my bills. I can pay my mortgage. I can pay my taxes. Everything's going smooth. But we need to keep looking beyond that. The next 10 years, the next 20 years, the next 30 years, 40 years, you know, into well into retirement to have a real financial plan. Because it's going to come. It's just a matter of time until it gets there. So if you could just do some minor tweaks. And we never want to position something where it's going to add an additional expense for somebody or an additional problem for somebody like the utilization of dividend paying whole life insurance within the portfolio we're not doing this to add an extra bill we're doing this to reposition current dollars meaning that you're already making money and you're already spending money what if we can reposition those dollars in a way that would benefit you and your family and your business for the long run Right, right. A- again, I think more importantly, when, for everybody out there, th- there's there's no one size fits all, right? You really mm-hmm. need to be proactive to get out there mm-hmm. and talk to specialists, maybe someone like Sari, talk to your attorney, talk to your asset uh, protection mm-hmm. specialist. It just depends where you are in your journey of life, right? And listen, mm-hmm. your journeys all should start at a very, very young age, right? Sir, sorry, started at, you know, the bug bit him at 10 and he really got to be knowledgeable, went to school for it, where a lot of folks don't even think about money until they actually start what they believe making money. Like, you know, not, not just your, your little part-time job when you're in school or something, but they actually get their careers going. They start making, you know, 7,500, 200 grand a year, whatever it may be before they start thinking about it. And guess what? You're behind the eight ball already. Don't wait until you, you know, your whatever career path you're going down that, you know, that career is going to pay you whatever six figure income. You need to think about that way early um, to be able to practice. But one, these these products that, you know, you're talking about here, the younger you are, the less expensive they are. The older you are, sure. the more they cost. So don't wait till you're 30, 35, 40 years old. Man, if you thought about that early at 21, you're literally probably paying 50% less than if you're at 31. It's just, it moves that quickly. So be proactive. Think about where you're at. There's a lot of people out there that start their families at young, at early 20s. It happens all the time. Um, They're single moms, single dads, whatever. Listen, think with your money. What is my game plan? Who do I need to go talk to? And I think if you can, and I'm going to leave your information down below. This will be uh, on the podcast and on my YouTube channel that um, if you want to contact, sorry about that, you know, I'm sure uh, you'd be open to talking to some people. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They can go to our, our website, finassetprotection.com, F-I-N assetprotection.com. They can schedule a free appointment. Also, I already mentioned a book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. I'll throw in a free copy of that book if you reach out to us. You don't have to schedule an appointment yet. You can just reach out, ask for the free copy of the book, and I'll send it to you for free. I'll email it to you. And then, yeah, it's finassetprotection.com. Cool. Awesome. Um, That's a pretty good gift, guys. You got to take advantage of these things when we're going through life. And uh, if you're fortunate enough to be listening to this podcast 
He just gave you a huge freebie. I mean, huge. This could be the shift, you know, in life. If we cannot connect the dots going forward, we can connect them going backwards. Mm -hmm. And when you, when people are like, I'm almost 60. And if I look back in life at what 25, if I would have made a pivot decision, how my life would have changed. And the offer that sorry just gave you could be a pivot decision in your life by uh, taking them up on this offer. So, Hey, I really appreciate yeah. that. And hopefully you guys out there listening, appreciate it a lot more than I do. I mean, I'm good. I'm, I set myself up a while back. I just enjoy doing these podcasts. So um, I, I really enjoyed um, talking with you today. Any last advice you want to give someone? Let, let's, I like talking to the younger people. Um, what, what would you give? Um, Let's say you're 31. What would you give your 21 year self, 21 year old self advice, knowing what you know today? Mm -hmm. I would say that okay. So the best thing about growing wealth is compound interest, and compound interest is always better yesterday. It's always better in the past. I mean, in other words, the sooner the better. As somebody who, if I was telling my 21 year old self, I would say, put your money somewhere that you can access it in the future at a higher rate of return. And that's still accessible too. So we're not just locking up money and never touching it again, but put your money somewhere that grows and is still accessible over time. Also, figure out a way that all the money you're making right now, figure out a way to bring that with you into the future. So you have, you know, the money that you're earning in one hand and then in your other hand, the money that you're spending, but how do you make the money that you, how do you keep more money? It's not just about making more money, but how do you, how do you actually keep it? How do you actually bring it with you into the next, into the next a generation the next decade how do you bring it how do you bring it there how do you bring it to your kids keeping that money in the family you know such as a lot of people call the strategy the family baking strategy too so how do you keep it in the family how do you keep this money growing over time that's what i would tell myself and i and i would tell this exactly to people who are young you know somebody who's 20 21 years old just started a job or maybe they're still like in college saving up you know you could do this policy with like $300 a month and you get that money back plus more plus compound interest plus the ability to borrow against it plus you'd, you'd start off at a young age thinking like a bank you know yeah you would and this, so that's one thing I recommend is you want to think like a bank not just a consumer not just a saver not just somebody who puts money not just somebody who gives money to banks and have them do it but how can you take control of those finances how can you think like a bank and protect more of your money and keep it with you again it's all about keeping your money great advice great advice wow Great value today, guys. Um, again, thanks for coming out. Sorry. Again, I'm going to put all that information down below so you guys can access them because there's uh, plenty of people out there that can use this advice. And again, man, the earlier you start, the better. And do me a favor, guys. Learn this stuff and we need to share this information right? The only reason we're in the 95%, 5% in this country, meaning 5% owns 95% of the wealth in this country is because people aren't teaching people. So talk about it. Get out there and talk with your family, your friends, everybody that you can. So sorry. Thanks for coming out. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks okay. for having me on. And for you guys out there, remember, I uh, put out my podcast every Wednesday, 7 a.m. Got another one coming out tomorrow. Sorry, we'll be out in a couple, about two, three weeks. Um, so when, and for you guys that are watching me on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Love to have you just keep coming out and listening. A lot of great lessons. I got a lot more really uh, interesting people come out and teaching us some really good stuff. So sorry. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks, Kevin. See okay. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, really enjoyed making all these episodes for you. Remember, we're just having uh, conversations with people's journey with money and the things they did right with it, the things that did wrong with it. And uh, how, how did they really come about getting their mindset with money? So uh, every episode's different. We all have a good takeaway from them. So do me a favor. 
hit the like button, smash the like button, and subscribe to my channel because every episode that I do is going to be different as all our journeys are different. So you guys take care and uh, we'll talk to you next week.